Well, this is one of those Gospels where if we aren't careful, we'll take it as sort of a, like a fearful warning from our Lord. Um, it's like when parents go out to dinner, tell the kids, uh, don't break anything, don't have any parties, don't screw anything up, it's going to be fine. But you know that, well, your parents might show up at any time, and you're worried. And sometimes we respond to our parents in that kind of a way, right, out of fear uh, versus out of a sense of love and, and goodness and like we're all in this together. Uh, sort of a thing. Hopefully none of you have had those kinds of experiences. You come home from dinner and everything's broken, destroyed, or whatever. Good. It wasn't a lot of laughing, so that means that you haven't had too much, of, too much of that. So I'm happy to hear that. Okay, well, that's certainly one level in which we can take uh, today's gospel. And we do recognize that in the context of the history of humanity, our Lord does come to us in different kinds of ways. And the sort of pithy way that we'll say it, he comes to us in history, 2,000 years ago. He comes to us in mystery here at the altar. And at the end of time, he comes to us in majesty. So history, mystery, and majesty is the language that we'll use. Um, But we don't want to limit ourselves to that, actually. Um, These are all beautiful ways to reflect on the presence and the continual um, coming of our Lord. But we, we sometimes forget the language that he uses elsewhere in the gospel. Actually, we heard it last week, I think. Um... How did he say it? Whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. Meaning so often the way that he comes to us is in the context of our lives around us, okay? And even the, uh, I mean, everybody that we meet in so many ways. And so Mark gives us a hint, that kind of hint, actually in today's gospel. He does it in a, in a, in a kind of a broader way than we might be aware of. So he says this, he says, You don't know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or in the morning. And then in the next chapter, as we begin to enter into the passion of our Lord, he goes through those same time periods. He talks about, well, the evening, because in the evening they go and they prepare the upper room for the Last Supper. And after the Last Supper, they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and our Lord has his agony in the Garden, and then he's arrested and he's tried in front of um, Caiaphas and some of the other uh, members of the, of the Pharisees. And then at cockcrow, we know what happens at cockcrow. It's when Peter denies Jesus, this moment where he is still in the midst of all of the chaos that's going on there. And then in the morning, they bring our Lord to Pilate, and he begins that last phase, as it were, of his passion. So Mark gives us a little, a, a deeper insight uh, into the ways in which we're called to be always well, on alert, as it were, always watching for the presence of our Lord. Because we know that in our lives as Christians, we go through similar kinds of experiences. We have moments when it's very clear that our, our Lord is with us here at the altar. We have moments where it seems like he's totally abandoned us. We have moments where maybe we've abandoned him. And then there are moments when we stand firm in our faith. And we're called to stand firm in our faith in the midst of all kinds of opposition, even if it means my own suffering and potentially even my death. So I think a a helpful question for us as as we begin this holy and wonderful season of Advent and move towards the celebration of our Lord's coming in history at Christmas time, it's for us to consider as we look in the world around us where do I see our Lord? Am I, am I aware of the presence of our Lord in the world around me? Because there's also a lot of people out there who, well, purport to be from our Lord, but maybe aren't so much. 
And so we can consider then the different kinds of people that we encounter at the Last Supper, the agony in the garden and, and the arrest of our Lord, when Peter denies our Lord, and then also in the context of his trial in front of Pontius Pilate. So what kind of a person is our Lord at the Last Supper? Is somebody who, how does he say it to them? He says, I'm among you as one who serves, even though I am your Lord and your Master. So he washes their feet. He's somebody who tells them that he's going to his Father. So he tells them where he's going, but he warns them of the trials and the tribulations to come. He also offers encouragement. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We have the sense of what it's like when our Lord encourages us and challenges us, but he also warns us about the difficulties that are going to come. But there's also other figures at the Last Supper, right? We know about Judas. We know he's already sold his soul, so to speak. We know he's a thief and a liar. It's the way that the Gospels describe him. We know he's someone who's hiding his true self from our Lord. Can you imagine if he had fallen at the feet of our Lord and begged for forgiveness? Do you think our Lord would have forgiven him? Of course he would have. But he's somebody who hides his darkness. Someone who prefers to stay in the darkness and try to deal with this world on his own without coming to our Lord. It's a terrible example of the way that we're called to relate to our Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior. And it's one that if we look at it, if we follow it, well, we're going to end up in the same way that he was. We're going to end up betraying our Lord and giving in to, well, the things of this world and letting those things be our guide and our principle. And we also have the other apostles who are a bit apprehensive, but who are willing to strive to be, to be prepared. You hear, you hear Peter saying, Lord, I'll never deny you. It's not going to happen. We know, we know that that's not the, not the right language to use when we're faced with temptation because Peter goes on to face plant pretty royally even though he does, praise God, return and ask for forgiveness. What about at midnight? What about in the garden? When our Lord hears the call again from his Father, Lord, let this cup pass from me, Father, but not my will but yours be done. He's someone who's resolved, not in a, in a proud, pro, sorry, prideful kind of way. Not somebody who's gonna, just going to do it all on his own, but he's somebody who turns to his Father and, again, resolves in the depths of his being to carry out the will of his Father. He's somebody who, when he's accused, when, the, the, uh, when Judas comes with the rest of the crowd, he's somebody who's willing to own who he is. He doesn't cower or run away in fear like the apostles do. He doesn't, like Peter, take the sword and cut off the ear of the slave of the high priest, using earthly means to accomplish spiritual realities. That's not the way he does things. No, he follows in every moment the will of his Father. He's also not a false friend like Judas, somebody who's willing to proclaim publicly, oh yeah, you're my friend, and greets him with a kiss in the way that was normal but we know what was in his heart. He wasn't somebody who responded to God in, in anger. Remember how he says it to the crowd, you come to me uh, as, uh, as, as, as a robber, as if I were a thief, somebody who was against you. All these who have mistrust in the designs and the plans and the goodness of God. It's a great thing to ask in my own heart. Do I trust 
that what God asks of me, even the difficult things that he asks of me, that these come from, well, the goodness of God. That God has my best interest in mind and also that of the world. Peter, Peter has a rough moment, doesn't he? When he enters into the courtyard and the gatekeeper asks him, she says to him, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? So Peter cowers in fear in that moment, right? And he denies our Lord publicly. But where is our Lord in the midst of the denial of so many of us when we're challenged publicly to stand up for our faith? Where is our Lord there? It's not words and language of condemnation. He does look at Peter. He does call him out. That's what one of the Gospels says. After Peter denies him, the Lord turns and looks at him. And when he looks at him, Peter breaks down and weeps. Our Lord calls him to repentance. This is our Lord. Who is it in my own life? Who is it in my own church? Who calls me to repentance? And who is it, on the contrary, who likes to excuse sin? Or to say those old teachings of the church, they belong to the past. It's a new church. It's a new way of doing things. All of these things, that's, that's pure and simple denial of our Lord. And our Lord looks at us, and whatever my sin happens to be, he doesn't deny the gravity of the sin. In fact, it, in fact, he wants the sorrow to pierce me to the heart, precisely so, so that I turn back to him and receive his forgiveness and his repentance. And of course, in front of Pontius Pilate, our Lord is the one who's willing to witness to the truth. Our Lord is, is the one who's willing to say that in, 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 in spite of all the, all the odds that are out there, in spite of whatever it looks like, that this is the way to keep the peace, this is the way to, well, continue uh, and yeah, ultimately uh, find our peace and security in this world. Our Lord says, no, that's not the way. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is a question to ask, again, from my own heart. Do I consider my peace and security, my future, all the things I place my hope and trust in are the only things of this world. Who is it who proclaims that? Who is it who proclaims that uh, all of the things that I uh, desire in the depths of my heart can be achieved via either political ends uh, or earthly ends? We can't mix these things. We can't mix and ultimately say that um, our Lord has come just to give us physical security and ease in this life. He hasn't. He's come to, to, to make sure that my vision and my focus is on Him. It's on the next life, it's on eternal life in heaven. That's our faith. And that's the, that's the faith that we, we have always proclaimed. And it's a faith that we're called to continually proclaim. And if I let go of the things of heaven and get sucked into my own sins and the things of this world, I'm going to end up, well, denying our Lord. I'm going to end up not being able to stand with him or even see him. And so, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a travesty when we have people who are in my position, for example, willing to deny the long-held doctrine and dogma of the church. It's a travesty and it's a tragedy. Tragedy, not a word. It's a tragedy. 
Good. When good Catholic politicians in public office are willing to publicly deny the teachings of the church and promote them in their policies, it's disgusting is what it is. It's something that, that should repulse us because we haven't come just for, again, an earthly peace and earthly simplicity and ease of life. No, we've come to worship the living God, the God who has saved us. And so if I do believe that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God who became man, died for my sins, rose from the dead, founded this church, and gave us the Holy Spirit, then everything that he has given is trustworthy. And those who try to pervert it and change it are speaking lies straight from the pits of hell. And I ought to reject them absolutely, completely, and totally. My call today is to stand firmly and completely with our Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim that I do look for him. I see him in my neighbor when my neighbor has sinned. I see him in my neighbor when my, when my neighbor is righteous. And first and foremost, I place my heart with him. I walk with him through the Last Supper. I walk with him through his agony and through his arrest and even through Peter's denial. And we take up our crosses and follow him all the way to Calvary because there we meet the infinite love and goodness of God the one who goes to his death to save me from my sin. And not just to say that, well, this is going to be your life on earth, a whole lot of suffering and pain and death and all that kind of stuff. No, he says, look, I took that upon me precisely so you wouldn't have to. I took that upon me so that you could have the victory and the glory and the joy of my resurrection.